0: Well, good morning, Country Bible. Good morning. Glad you're here. Glad you're here, and and welcome to all of you online, the invisible audience. You know, if you chuckle or throw tomatoes, I'll never know. <laughs> Just saying. Um, if you will again, again remember where we are in this in this process of nine. Uh, we want to work with attitudes that become actions that will become attributes and nowhere is that as important as it is in the emphasis verse for today with this, which is Matthew 5-7 um, you know in in ancient language we said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy and New Living Translation which you have uh, we'll, we'll get to a little bit later um, but in talking about mercy just to get going I want to tell you that this week uh, you will notice that in terms of my delivery um, and I apologize for this if I need to I am somewhat more laid back than Andrew <laughs> I don't know why um, but Andrew's an exceptional communicator. I just can't talk as fast as he can. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. So I'm kinda mellow and laid back and that probably explains my, uh, my fondness for, for jazz. Um, and I oftentimes will pull up on YouTube live concerts of jazz artists I enjoy And I began noticing this week more and more and more that people were critiquing uh, the artists. And then people would critique the people who critiqued. And then it would devolve into insulting the mothers of people who critiqued. (laughs) And and then it devolved further into, give me your address so I can come slash your tires. What happened? You know, what, what happened where, where opinion became so important uh, that, that, that politics became so definitive that we forgot who we are? You know, and now here I am talking, I mean, I mean, I can talk to the culture, but I want to talk to the church specifically. If there were ever a time we needed to step up and be merciful If there were ever a time we needed to show Jesus by being merciful, by extending mercy, that time is today. That time is today. We're past the time of kidding. We're past the time of stepping back from our responsibility. You want this society and this culture to survive, we'd best be on our knees praying for revival. And it ain't gonna happen unless it begins with us. Sorry, I wish you could shove it off somewhere else. We can't. Fair enough. Now you know where I'm coming from a little bit. I want to say uh, to kids of all ages, um, people who show no mercy will sometimes make it far in middle school, high school, and politics. People who are merciful will go far in life. Period. Gosh, I could almost go home now. (laughs) But I'm not gonna. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm really not. This is an exciting time and an exciting time to be able to make a difference in the culture. And you will remember probably that in the Roman culture, mercy was not valued very much. You know, very stoic. You know, let's fall on the sword. Better yet, let's help you fall on the sword. Mercy was not, a, was not an intrinsic value of the culture. So when Jesus says, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When Jesus says you need to embody being merciful, he's actually speaking against the cultural trend. Even classical Greek, as opposed to biblical Greek, the classical Greek used the word we translate from the Greek New Testament as mercy as applied as Jesus did, as the Bible did, they actually looked down on that interpretation. Mercy could comprise one act. And then you were a sweetheart of a guy and you got to move on. Jesus says you need to embody mercy. You know, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline right now. The only way I know how to do that is to let Jesus totally invade your heart and fix your actions, and build character so it's an attribute. Does that make sense? Okay, in a few moments we're gonna launch. And uh, again, I'm not as fast as Andrew, nor will I try to be, but I just want you to know. 24 years ago I was on a team that went into Rwanda after the genocide to try to recover 8,000 children for a child sponsorship organization. Uh, It took a lot of different kinds of coordination that I don't have time to get into this morning, but I gotta let you know, there are two experiences I I wanna relay real quickly regarding mercy. One was the morning I spent where they had warned me before I came to Rwanda, buy a pair of shoes you can leave behind. And I didn't know exactly what that meant and then they took me to this little Anglican church. I say little. Um, but it was. The whole church wasn't much bigger than, than this sanctuary. The, um, I walked around the front near the altar. I went in back where the, uh, where the clergy would put on vestments and such things. And I followed a trail of blood. And I picked up the sensor, you know, the thing that a lot of times in very formal churches they will wave back and forth with burning incense inside and it was dropped and, and uh, had not been picked up five, six months after the fact. And I picked that up and I walked around and the only light that came in th- into that sanctuary that morning, all the windows were boarded over, but there was light coming through the holes in the doorways and around the doorways, where uh, mortar shells and grenades and small rockets had come through to kill a congregation of 1,100, all of whom were buried in the backyard of the church. And I went in back, and there was a mass grave, and at the time, it was still being covered up, and so uh, part of respect for their recovery process was whenever you went by a mass grave, if they knew it was there, they had a pile of lime and a pile of dirt. And you would throw in uh, three shovelfuls of lime and a few shovelfuls of dirt to just sort of help in the process. It was too massive. There were too many places. And I became angry uh, I became indignant. Uh, I, I, I really started um, crying to God, shouting out to God. You know what went on? How could how could we devolve this far? Uh, you know uh, what? What were we supposed to do? How could people be this brutal to each other? And as clear as day. As clear as day, a still small voice, yeah, but you guys crucified by memo. You're no different. Ouch. And I worked for a Christian agency, and you know something? That still small voice was right. If there were ever a time Christians need to stand up, I know I've said this before, but I want to remind you the time is now. We've got to figure out what it is to be merciful, to extend mercy to the culture around us. For too long, the church has been identified with stuff that doesn't belong in the kingdom. You know, we are not supposed to be about sin management. We are supposed to be about sin eradication. It begins with attitude. It begins with attitude that becomes action, that becomes attribute. This is not lightweight stuff this morning. We're going to walk out of here eventually showing mercy, or we're going to show different colors that don't reflect Jesus, that miscommunicate who we are and what he died for, And then you can watch the culture around us go to hell in a handbasket like we've said, it's going without Karen. Okay? Okay. I'll settle down now. (laughs) The second story I want to tell you from Rwanda, I I needed a a story that encouraged before I left the country the first time. And they took me to interview... um, Oh, I just got to tell you, when I went to Rwanda the first time, my hair was halfway down my back, and, uh, and I was stockier than I am now, and I was active in a martial arts program, and all those things they thought qualified me, but the big, the big deal is with the hair halfway down my back and wearing glasses and looking semi-studious, they were able to get me Belgian press credentials. And so I went in on Belgian press credentials, you know, because I looked like a laid-back European guy. I met uh, Mutt and Jeff. I met met this short, wonderful 16-year-old named Esther. And one of my colleagues in the organization I worked with in Rwanda was a health worker, 35 years old or so, named Dativa, and she was tall and slender and elegant. And uh, historically, uh, Esther would have identified as a Hutu. Historically, Detiva would have identified as a Tutsi. The thing of it is, is that locally, those terms didn't mean what they once did. Another story for another day. But they were supposed to be enemies, but instead they were neighbors, and physically they were neighbors. And we held this interview about 100 feet away from a mass grave, where they had placed many of their neighbors. But the story is, is when, uh, weeks before the genocide began, just a couple of weeks, Dativa and her husband John discovered that she was pregnant with their fourth child. And they had three other children, aged 10 and under. And uh, earlier in life, when Esther was, was a toddler, Dativa had secured medication and treatment for her that her family could not afford because Esther suffered from asthma. Dativa was a health worker. It was easy to do. It made sense. After all, they did attend the same church together. What a concept. And for three years or so, Dativa was faithful in making sure That Esther had what she needed to overcome the asthma, which she did eventually seem to outgrow. Because Dativa knew what it was to grow up impoverished, not able to afford health treatment. She remembered what that was like. She got in, in 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 a real way, she sort of got into that skin again. She was able to look at things from the perspective of the three to five year old who couldn't breathe and she stayed there and let that inform how she showed mercy and a decade later Dativa's husband had to leave the country when the genocide swept through to save his own life and Dativa pregnant with three other children was in hiding in a closet off a closet in a crawl space under their home. From April through July, and every day, every day, every day, Esther brought them food and tea. She snuck around the Interahamway, the the local militia, and she saw to it that Dativa and her children and that child within were fed something. And Esther got into Dativa's skin and tried to imagine what it would be like to be terrified and in hiding and to be worried about how she was going to provide the basics for her kids. And as I did the interview, they were clinging to each other like long-lost friends or maybe like friends who came so close to losing each other that they weren't going to risk it ever again. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. See, let's unpack mercy. This is going to be a word study. Word studies have their own, uh, I don't know, they can be threatening. Why can they be threatening? Because you're gonna take the information with you, you're gonna say, wow, I'm intellectually satisfied now, and you're gonna forget to apply it. That was a rhetorical you, by the way. It wasn't pointing fingers at anyone. You can always look at someone else and say, no, they were talking about them, right? Mercy, linguistically, uh, real quickly, you gotta know. Jesus was familiar with Hebrew. Why was that? Because he was Jewish. Work with me, kids. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, and he was familiar with Aramaic because that's the language of the culture in which he was raised. And chances are he did have some familiarity with Greek. So when we go back and we try to interpret books like Matthew where Jesus is teaching... We really need to make sure that we take care of all three angles, if at all possible. So, here's the deal. In Greek, the word means merciful. And merciful in Greek can simply mean you act, you, you perform an act of mercy once and you walk away. But when Jesus adds it with meaning from the other two languages he's associated with, is we have to assume, you know it gets really interesting because then the merciful act becomes part of a process. It becomes part of a continuum. You're not just merciful once, you're climbing into somebody's skin, which is the Hebrew meaning of the word translated as mercy. You're empathizing with someone so much that you're seeing through their eyes, you're feeling what they feel, You're in their skin. And then this is very cool. The the, uh, the Aramaic word for mercy has the same root. And Aramaic and Hebrew are very closely related. The Aramaic word for mercy has the same root as the word womb. Womb. In the, in, in the Hebrew. And why is that important? Because it comes from the inside. Because any time a reference to one's inner parts comes out of Old Testament thinking, it means you're getting visceral. You're getting at the basis of who we are. Praise to God, thankfulness to God in the Psalms comes from the keleot, the kidneys, the uh, the, the gut. You know, you thought praise was all intellectual, didn't you? Oh, silly us. No, there's stuff that's heartfelt. There's stuff that overwhelms you. When Jesus looked out on the crowd and had compassion, like it says in the scriptures a few times, he was overwhelmed. It was like he was socked in the gut. That's what the word in the Greek means. He was breathless because he was that compassionate. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish that someone would show you that kind of compassion? Don't you wish that someone, someone would show up for you in that way? That someone would try to understand, that someone would actually sacrifice their position to come and know you intimately, to look at things the way you look, to see things the way you see them, to get inside your skin don't you wish someone would do that? Jesus did. You remember? Tempted in every way like we were. Didn't think that equality with God was something to be grasped. You take a look at, at, at the kenosis, the passage at the beginning of Philippians 2. But instead emptied himself and became a servant and took the pathway to the cross. Right? Are you okay with this so far? Yes. Come on. If you want to throw tomatoes, please miss. The point here, very honestly, going, going ahead, really becomes a point with, uh, with Mozart. If we can go there. Biblical mercy begins when you recognize that you are the cause of Jesus' journey. So we get to Mozart, and uh, Mozart I, I learned a lot about because of Dr. Roger Wishmeyer, my music theory teacher, who taught me more about Mozart than maybe I ever wanted to find out. But you can impress your friends with this knowledge now. I pass it on to you. You know, when Peter Schaeffer wrote Amadeus for Broadway and then for the movies, um, he had to dramatize some things because he got to do that in order to have a complete story. But one of the things in Schaeffer's stage play and screenplay that is true is that there is some uh, drama around uh, Mozart writing The Requiem in D minor. And that drama is around the line, merciful Jesus, remember that I am the cause of your journey, which is kind of at a climactic point in the Requiem. Uh, When Mozart was contracted to write that, he was feeling his own mortality. He realized that he had a long-standing disease that may not let up and didn't as it ends up so the music at this point and the text at this point takes on meaning for Mozart that is one of panic that is one of desperation that is one that says merciful Jesus remember that I am the cause of your journey as though Jesus would forget right? whose memory is it that needs jogging? It ain't Jesus. (laughs) Merciful Jesus, remember that I am the cause of your journey. I would say that it would be fruitful. If if you're going to use that sentence, uh, the problem isn't Jesus' memory. It never was, never will be. If you're going to revise the sentence, let's do it this way. Merciful Jesus, Help me remember that I am the cause of your journey. Right? Because here's the point. If I don't believe that Jesus has shown me mercy, I'm going to have a real problem showing it to others. This is a biblical principle that can even go back to the greatest commandments Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Some say mind. You know, I mean, it's, it's a big list. But basically it's saying love God with everything you got. And then the second commandment is, is like the first. In that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, don't gloss over that. What happens if you don't love yourself? What happens if you have lousy self-esteem? What happens if you really don't like who you see in the mirror? Is it going to reflect on your relationships with others? Nod your heads. Absolutely. Absolutely. How easy will it be at that point to show mercy? How easy will it be at that point to forgive? I can tell you for a fact from my own experience, it's incredibly difficult. Which is why we're going to go to Matthew 18. Not because we have a ton of time to kill as I look at the clock. Mozart isn't the only one with a questionable memory as it applies to mercy. If you're in Matthew 18, please go to verse 21. And you can also read it on the screen like I'm going to. I'm still getting used to these graduated lenses. No. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, for most of us, seven times would be a big deal. Seven times, are you kidding? Will I never learn? Huh? Right? Come on. What do we tell our kids? You know? And I'm not saying don't tell your kids that. I'm just saying... Mm. (laughs) No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And before you get out your belt so you can notch 490 times, watch this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Let me do that again. Millions of dollars. Just for comparison's sake. Okay? He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Okay, review. Millions of dollars. Please forgive me. Okay. (laughs) And the story goes on. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him five bucks. I'm sorry, I'm revising that part. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Isn't that curious? His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time, be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And the story goes on. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. You know, I was in a small group with a bunch of counselors reviewing this passage 30 years ago now. And one of the Methodists in the group, you know something amazing? Methodists sometimes know stuff. I didn't know that before, no, never mind. I was I was brought up in a very sheltered Baptist environment. I have no clue. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened, and the king called the man. He had forgiven. Forgiveness here is a key and said, "You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy?" on your fellow servant and understand mercy is something you do when the other party the party of the second part really can't do anything back to pay you back right away it's not a tit for tat thing it's something you do out of your heart it's something you do in response if they begin to pay you back it ain't mercy just by definition okay that doesn't mean it's bad it's just defining alright right. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. How you pay a debt while you are being tortured and imprisoned is still beyond me. However, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart this is an issue of forgiveness this is an issue of of mercy but what my friend Sam Thompson the Methodist brought out of this was that you know what the deal is this guy didn't believe that he'd been forgiven huh think about this for a minute early 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 on in ministry for me I had a chance to go back to my hometown and help Uh, perform a memorial service for a lady who loved me who was gracious to me who was generous to me but the one thing that had always confused me about her uh, you know I mean she used to give me peppermint so I'd be still in the service which they didn't understand the connection between sugar and behavior at that point but you know And as it it ended up, um, well, first, let me say this. She became very angry at one of the young ladies in our church who became pregnant out of wedlock. Viciously so. Viciously so. Viciously so. I I had never seen such a response out of this lady ever. I couldn't even bring up the girl's name in conversation. She would, just, she would just become, you know, nearly violent in her anger because, you know, this girl was in trouble. And then at her memorial service, I met the son that she had given away for adoption because she'd gone through a similar experience years and years before. And suddenly things became clear. Sometimes we cannot show forgiveness. Sometimes we cannot show mercy. Because we see the weakness of ourselves in someone else. I want to say this morning. That if we don't understand that Jesus has forgiven those things in us. If we don't understand that Jesus has already shown us mercy. Biblically it is impossible to show this kind of mercy that Jesus calls us to. You know, flat out, guys, once again, just let me reiterate this simple statement. If you're going to be merciful biblically, it all comes from Jesus. You'd best have a relationship. You'd best have received mercy. you best understand that if you come to God asking for mercy, that it's flat-out mercy. There's nothing you can do to earn it. We say that a lot about grace, but you've got to understand it applies to that act of grace that is mercy as well. Augustine, Clement, G.K. Chesterton all had variations on this, this simple truth. You can ask God for anything, but when you come to him and ask, ask with empty hands. Don't try to justify your request to God because of what you've done. What you bring to the table. If you're asking for mercy, it's mercy. If you're asking for grace, it's grace. And part of our problem is we believe we can earn a part of it. I'm not saying walk away from obedience, not at all. Remember, I think we need to be about sin eradication, not sin management. But this mercy thing really demands, really demands a new creation. It really demands being in Christ. It really demands Christ dwelling in you. And in so many ways, it is no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. See, this whole thing about mercy, I'm going to do a merciful act and walk away, it doesn't work that way. You need a transformed character, a transformed nature. You need to walk away only after, only after, only after you've lived exhibiting the attitude that became action, that is becoming an attribute So just like when you learn a move in an athletic skill, just like when you learn a move in martial arts, just like when you learn a pattern on the guitar or on the piano by drilling on scales, these things become muscle memory in mercy. Okay? Here's the punchline. If you're going to give mercy... You've got to receive it. If you haven't heard that yet. And it needs to be the mercy of Jesus Christ. What we need at the end of the day is a transformed nature what we need at the end of the day is the blunt recognition that the beginning of showing mercy is receiving it but not just receiving it and sitting on it receiving it and applying it right if you're looking at the new living translation which, which is the, uh, the pew bible if you will the ones being distributed Matthew 5, 7, very clearly, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. I can give you plenty of illustrations about mercy not being shown. Thank God I've got some illustrations from life experience that show that mercy still exists. But I say today, we have never had a time in history like this where mercy must come to the surface. Mercy must be demonstrated where we must, we must be identified as a people of mercy because first we are identified as the people of Jesus. That will be the heart of revival as we ask God to change us. And to fill us with so much mercy, we cannot help but extend it to someone else. But it begins by receiving. It begins by receiving. As the great musical theologians of the last century, into this century, the eagles, once said, you better let somebody love you before it's too late. The apostle Paul precluded that lyric by saying today is the day of salvation and today will be the day of salvation for some of you but today i'm asking you if you're a christian to commit with me to something very simple uh, today today i'm going to ask you just as as a people with me if you will if you feel so moved to pray with us together that God fill us with mercy so we can extend mercy is that okay can we do that and then we'll go on just a few minutes from there let's pray Lord Jesus Christ thank you for this time together thank you for your word thank you for your encouragement thank you for your mercy today I receive your mercy like never before Because I want to extend it like never before. Amen, church? All right. I want to talk real quickly to a few of you, maybe several, maybe a bunch. The way you achieve mercy is not an achievement, the way you get mercy is to ask for it. and the way mercy transforms you is when that mercy is contained in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is what you got to do. You got to get real with the fact that you're probably estranged from God. If that's what you're feeling, if you've never, if you've never asked Jesus to invade your heart, biblically, that's where you are. I, I, I wish I could dress this up otherwise sometimes but I can't you know after 40 years of searching the scripture pretty formally Jesus is the way the truth and the life after 40 years of trying to do the discipleship thing Jesus changed my life and still is but that requires that he dwells in me and you've got to make that invitation. You've got to know, you've got to acknowledge that you're estranged. That you're miles apart from God. And you can just do that in your heart. But, but here's where it gets good. You've got to believe. Uh, ju- just, like, just like John, who knew Jesus very well, wrote um, in the opening chapter of his gospel. You know, to all those who received, catch this, who received Jesus and believed on his name, to those people, God gave the right to become the children of God, children not born out of human will or out of the flesh, but by the very spirit of God, out of God's will. So there is, there is a thing where you got to say, I believe Jesus can bridge that gulf between me and God and no and no one else can and then finally you, you confess it and on the one hand the confession yeah maybe may today but the confession becomes a lifelong process right right you know um uh, If you've arrived, there's mud puddle walking classes at the end. We're here because we haven't arrived. We're here because we're fellow pilgrims. We're here because we need help. I need God's mercy every day. I need His mercies to be new every morning. I'd like to ask all of us to pray one more time. Thank you for doing that. I want you, if you already know Jesus, pray for the people around you. Please, and, and if you don't know Jesus, if you have yet to ask him for his mercy to make you into a new creature at this moment, at this moment uh, you know uh, while I'm looking and and others aren't. if you would just put up your hand real quick and say I want to pray that prayer. Is there anyone? Let me see your hand. All right. The invitation. Oh, okay. See that hand. There's one. You know. Are there others? Fair enough. Fair enough. God bless you. I'm just going to ask that you pray this prayer with me in your heart. Christ, I need your mercy. Please forgive me for choosing my own path. I want to live according to yours now. Holy Spirit, come and set me on the right way because of Jesus.